Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Great, you know what I mean? So that's kind of fun. Yeah, we all would like to do that. It's like our government. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, We are in Mark chapter 4 today. Mark chapter 4 is where we are, and we're going to be studying what I have called the storms of life. Somebody has said you're either going into a storm, in the midst of a storm, or coming out of a storm. And the reason is, is because that's what life is. We live in a fallen world. And those who have been trying to sell us this, sort of this bill that life here on this earth is perfect and is going to go perfectly, um, I don't know. I I don't know where you're coming from. Um, Do you live in this world? You know, the reality is life is difficult and there's challenges. And we have seasons where things are bright and sunny and we're moving along and this is great, you know, but inevitably difficulties come and we, we deal with them. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't always deal with them well. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at the disciples who, uh, in obedience to Jesus Christ, find themselves in a terrifying storm. That's even the words or the type of words that they use to describe the circumstances that they were in. And yet they learn and they discover some things about Jesus that they would have never learned before. And hopefully today I can point you in that direction, give you some perspective about some of the next uh, difficulties you're going to face. And and the Lord will use our time together uh, to just sort of solidify us and build a foundation uh, to our thinking. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we love you. You've been so kind to us, so gracious to us. You've opened our eyes to you that we might believe. You've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit as our teacher. You minister your word to our hearts. You've blessed us with the ability to uh, each of us to possess your word, really, to carry it uh, to church with us and to study it and to consider it. And honestly, that's a, that's a privilege that few people in the history of your church uh, have been able to... Uh, to have as their own, and so we do not take that lightly. Bless your word as we dig into it, both in this room and in the classrooms. Lord, minister to our children. Lord, open their eyes that they may come to know you as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've been saying uh, in our study of Mark, there are, there's parallel passages as well uh, that it's always good when we're studying the scriptures uh, to kind of look at those parallel passages Those parallel passages never contradict one another, but sometimes they do give us some greater insight. And a good way to look at it is from the perspective of, you know, a witness kind of observing things from their perspective, what caught their attention. Well, that's what the the gospel parallels do. And so in this instance here, as we're studying Mark chapter 4, just the final verses of the chapter, what we know is that it's also found in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 8. So that should be easy for you to remember. Matthew 8 and Luke chapter 8. And go read those. After we've finished our study, I'm going to reference a couple things in them. But read them, put all the pieces of the puzzle together, kind of pull back, get all the information that you need um, related to this particular event. Let's read our passage today, Mark chapter 4. It says, it's starting in 35, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still, he said. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now remind you of a couple of, I will remind you of a couple of things regarding the context of things. The context is uh, that Jesus has been teaching all day to, to the masses, to the people that are gathering. He has left the synagogue, so to speak, and he's gone out into the streets or he's gone out onto the lake, literally, because the crowds were pressing in on him. Jesus gets into a boat, sets off a little bit from shore, and from that boat, he begins to teach the people. And he did so, it seems, all day, that particular day, and likely the day before and the day before that. And he had begun to teach them in parables. These stories, uh, earthly stories divine to convey a heavenly message, he began to teach them because he wanted the people to understand. And so he told them a familiar story so that they'd be able to grasp it and understand it. And he did that all the day. As we see in, excuse me, as we see in verse 33, it says, with many parables, he spoke to them the word through those particular parables. And it was a long day. And as I said, it was a demanding day in a series of days. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Mark chapter 3, verse 7, a couple verses before, or chapters, I should say. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. This is the type of thing Jesus was increasingly experiencing. Masses of people pressing in on him. Look at verse 20 of chapter 3. It said, then Jesus went home. I'm going to get some rest. But the crowd gathered there again so that he could not even eat. Now that's serious, that he couldn't even eat. Uh, Apparently not for you. All right, but for me, all right? Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it said he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got in the boat, sat on it, while the whole crowd was there on the shore listening to him. So again and again and again, people are pressing in on him. And after this now teaching, this particular day, all day, these stories, Jesus decides it's time we're going to head out to the other side of the sea. And we see that in the first verse of our passage today. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, they're on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. I like to think of the Sea of Galilee as if it were the face of a clock. They're somewhere around 1130 or so on the face of that clock. And they're going to head over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, down to, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, this place called Gadara or Gerasa, which would be around like five o'clock or so uh, on the clock. And so we have that little there to give you an idea, that little map up there. That's the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, depending on the water levels, is about 13 13 miles. Yeah, 13 miles from north to south. And it's about seven or eight miles from east to west. So it's a big body of water. Technically, it's a lake. But it's a big body of water, waves form on it, and you know, so it has ocean qualities to it. And so it's been referred to for centuries and millennia as the sea, and it's called the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus, teaching up there in Capernaum, his adopted hometown, is going to make his way all the way down to the other side here uh, for this five or six mile journey that somebody has said, that's the math if you do it, 
um, five or six miles out there on the water. Notice Mark tells us in verse 36 that Jesus wasn't the only boat. So Jesus is in his boat with his disciples, uh, and those boats could fit 10, 15 people in there. We've seen those boats. They discovered one uh, sort of in the muck and the mire of the Sea of Galilee when there was a point where the water levels had dropped significantly. There was this abandoned boat. And they've done their carbon dating and everything, and they realize it's a couple thousand years. And so they recognize this was probably a boat during the times of Christ. And you can go, you can see this boat, you get a sense of the size of it, how long it is, um, how high it is, and so on and so forth. And so we'll go see that when we go back there uh, in, in a couple of years here. Uh, but Je- Jesus's wasn't the only boat. It was Jesus, his disciples, and then notice what Mark says there, and other boats were with him. Now, he's the only one that points that out, Mark is. Matthew doesn't point that out. Um, Luke doesn't point that out. Mark points it out, that there were other boats that were with him uh, as well. And notice it says that they got into this boat. uh, They they departed just as he was. They didn't go back to his house. You know, let's grab some lunch or whatever or dinner. Let's, you know, grab some clothes. We're going to be out for a while. They just sort of avoid the crowds altogether. You can imagine if there's a mass of people on the shores and Jesus gets out of the boat and wants to walk home, that's going to take him hours to get home to grab a sweatshirt. So they're just going to simply, we're going to head out. And so they do. And they head out and they begin to make their way to the other side. It should be a lovely boat ride, shouldn't it? It won't be. Um, As it says, verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, the Sea of Galilee can be a lovely, tranquil body of water, or it can get crazy, and it can get crazy uh, rather quickly. And here we have one of those instances. So it's not atypical for a storm to come up on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. So it's at this lower point in Uh, on the earth's surface and it's surrounded by these hills sometimes they're called mountains not really mountains are these high hills here and every now and again there's sort of a break in those hills and they become sort of the natural roadway for people through those hills and in addition they become sort of the natural pathway for wind as well and the wind is if you will sort of channeled into that opening and then down under the sea and then it mixes with the water and storms come up out of nowhere these great windstorms, great rainstorms. We were out on the Sea of Galilee back in, I think it was 2009, a group of us. Only about five of us at that time went on that particular trip. It was a wonderful trip. And we're out there on the Sea of Galilee one particular evening. Beautiful weather. Big boat we're on here. Uh, probably 50, 60 people could sit on this boat. Uh, half of it covered, half of it not covered. And we're just sort of relaxing in the, in the moonlight. And all of a sudden, it was like Disney World. It was like somebody said, all right, start the storm or whatever, and out of nowhere, the storm came in, and the boat starts rocking, and the rain starts coming down, and everyone's running, and nobody's a Christian anymore, bumping people, get out of my way, everyone's trying to get underneath the covering there, uh, and we do, and within five minutes, the storm was done, just that quickly, this heavy pouring rain comes down, and the waves pick up, and all of that, and then it was done, it's pretty normal, Uh, uh, we were all freaking out, and, and a little bit like, this is so cool, how'd you do that? You know, to the, the boat operator. The boat operators were like, yeah, it happens. You know, come on under, here's some towels, whatever it may be. It just is what happens in that particular area. That being said, this storm is a little bit different 
than, a lot different than those typical storms that make their way. This is quite a bit more than a quick five-minute heavy wind and some rain that our Calvary group experienced here. Notice some things it says. Look at verse 37. It says, a great windstorm arose. And so Mark is trying to point out, he's trying to differentiate, differentiate from the normal storms that kind of hit that area. He calls it a great windstorm. You see Mark also says in verse 37 that the waves were breaking into the boat. And if that boat that they've discovered, which they say it is, is typical of the average boat that was out there in the Sea of Galilee, you're talking about sides that are four or five feet high. When you stand in, they're above your waist. If you stand in that boat, it's above your waist. And so the, these waves now are four or five feet high, crashing into the boat. Notice what it says also in verse 37. We learn a lot from that verse. It says that the boat was filling with the water from the waves. So that's not good. I don't know if you know much about boating. The water's supposed to stay outside of the boat, not come inside of the boat. And so these guys are having uh, some difficulty. Finally, look at verse 38. Now, you remember, of the 12 apostles, at least seven of them were experienced fishermen. Okay? At least seven of them were experienced fishermen that have been out on that water many times, have been into the rainstorms and all that, have dealt with these things. But notice what these experienced fishermen say in verse 38 when they wake up Jesus they say, teacher, don't you care? We are perishing. All right, so they're freaking out is what they're doing. We are about to die is what they're doing. And then they throw in this little thing about Jesus not caring about them, which we'll talk about later. But they're freaking out. This is a serious storm that has come against them. There are two storms recorded for us in the Gospels that happened on the Sea of Galilee. One of them is in chapter 6. We'll get to that. That's the one where Peter walks on the water Notice what it says in that um, passage. It says, he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. The wind was contrary unto them. Big difference from the great windstorm that these guys are experiencing. These guys are expecting that they may die as a result of this storm. And it was no joke what was coming against them. And so they're panicking. Now it seems they've done all they can to weather the storm. They've passed out the buckets. They're dumping the water out. It's coming in quicker than they can get it out. Everyone has a bucket. Everyone is trying except that guy. Wake him up. He's in the back. He's sleeping on a cushion. Wake him up. We need all hands on deck here. And so they do. They wake Jesus up, essentially saying to him, hey, man, a little help. We're going to die if everyone doesn't do their part. And at first glance, and this is what I always thought. I always thought they're waking Jesus up so that Jesus will do a miracle. Jesus, wake up, make the storm stop. But notice what it says in verse 41. It, after all is said and done, and, and I already read the story. I'm not ruining it for you. Jesus wakes up. He doesn't grab a bucket. He says to the storm, peace be still. The storm stops. Now, notice their response in verse 41. They say, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? You see, they're surprised that he spoke to the storm. That's not why they woke him up. They woke him up to grab a bucket and to help them uh, get all the water out of the boat here. And so they had no idea what was about to come, no idea what to expect. They seemed shocked that he could do what he did. And calming the storm seems to be the last thing that they expected him to do. They woke him to uh, get, grab a bucket. And it says instead, Jesus doesn't grab a bucket. Who wants to do that? I was taking a nap. All righty. 
Uh, instead, it says he rebukes the wind and the sea. That's an interesting choice of words. This idea of the rebuke, it suggests a level of anger or frustration with the wind and with the sea. And so Jesus doesn't merely quiet the wind and the sea. It says that he rebukes the wind and the sea. He says, it says, peace, be still. That's a flowery way. That sounds real nice. You know, you think of a parent whose kids are acting crazy. Children, peace, be still. You know, that, that's a nice way of saying enough, enough. No more of this. Dad, you've been there? I have been there. When the little press too far, finally enough. There'll be no talking the rest of the evening. I said that in class a lot with my students. No more talking for the rest of this day. All right, so he says enough. Same word that Jesus used back in Mark chapter 1 when he spoke to the man that was demon-possessed in the synagogue. When he said enough to that man, or be quiet, he said. It's translated in our English versions. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And I would suggest to you at the very least that our passage is suggestive that something else is going on besides a big storm that has come. That there's some level of spiritual warfare that is going on in this particular instance. And so the way in which Jesus speaks to the wind and the sea, the words he chooses to use, the disciples' great fear, the fact that the very next encounter, encounter which we're going to look at in chapter 5, verse 1, involves Jesus dealing with a demon-possessed man, it seems to me at some level Satan is involved in this process. Now that would force us to ask the question, can Satan impact weather patterns? Let's let that hang out there for a bit. Can Satan impact weather patterns? I would suggest to you with God's permission, he can. You recall the book of Job. We have a group that's studying uh, right over here on Monday and Wednesday mornings, the book of Job. And so as I sit in my office, I overhear the study of the book of Job. And you recall in the book of Job that Satan goes to petition uh, the Lord that he might afflict Job. He goes to the, before the Lord. He says, you know, Job only follows you because you've been good to him. Take your hand a blessing off of him. He'll curse you like everybody else curses you. And so the Lord says, all right, you can do so, but don't touch Job. You can afflict my servant. And so he begins to do that. Job chapter 1, Satan stirs up this enemy people. They're called the Sabaeans. And they come and they attack, attack Job's donkeys and his oxen and they kill his herds or his hired hands, I should say. Job chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. That's the first thing Satan does. Second thing, he summons fire from heaven, lightning or something like that. He summons that. I don't know how he does that, but somehow he does so. The people wrongly assume it's the fire from God, but the passage is very clear that Satan brings that on. And that destroys Job's sheep and his servants that are um, shepherding those sheep. And then, almost simultaneously to all of that, he stirs up another enemy people, the Chaldeans. And they split up, and they raid Job's, Job's camels, uh, and they, they kill and they steal, those that are, they steal the camels, and they kill the servants that are monitoring those camels. And then there's a fourth attack, and this is what I want to draw your attention to. It's Job chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says this, Now while he was yet speaking, there came another. So this is someone coming to report to Job. And he said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. 
and it fell upon the young people, and they are all dead, and I, have alo I alone have escaped to tell you. God granted permission in that instance for Satan to bring about a great wind to accomplish his purposes of afflicting Job. And it seems to me that's the same type of thing that is occurring here in Mark chapter 4. Satan has Jesus and Jesus' hand-picked successors, the 12 apostles, in a single boat on the lake. What better opportunity to wipe out the ministry in a single stroke, ending the life of both Jesus and his successors. And so you think back now, think back with me to Jesus' words as he opened up this passage. What did he say to his disciples? He said, let us go to the other side of the sea. Now remember that. That was Jesus' words to his disciples. He didn't suggest that they attempt to go to reach the other side of the lake, but he spoke of actually going to the other side of the lake. The disciples forgot that. Jesus didn't say, hey, let's give it a shot and see what happens. But he said, let us go to the other side of the lake. Also notice, Jesus didn't say, I need to go to the other side of the lake. I don't know what's going to happen to you guys, but I need to get over to the other. He didn't say that either. He says, let us go to the other side. He says, we essentially need to go to the other side. And so that was Jesus' words to his disciples. Now the storm comes. And because of the ferocity of the storm, they become understandably panicked. I don't think any of us blame them for that. We all would have been a little freaked out by it, no doubt. But if only they had remembered what Jesus had said to them at the start of the journey, in the midst of the journey. And unfortunately, that's what tends to happen with us. When we find ourselves in the storm, we forget Jesus' promises. When we find ourselves in the storm, we forget his word. And our eyes transition from him and his truth to the storm itself. And it causes us to panic and it causes us to freak out. Jesus said, let us go to the other side of the storm. That was the immediate plan that he had revealed to his disciples. And actually, additionally, I should say, the disciples, even if Jesus hadn't said that, did the disciples really think this verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but unfortunately he died in a tragic boating accident. Is that what the disciples were willing to conclude about these circumstances? Jesus had told them again and again and again why he had come. And then specifically he told them what they were about to do. Go to the other side. But as I said, storms can shake us. And storms can cause us to panic. Storms can cause us to stop thinking rationally. And they can get us to forget those things that we know and start coming up with all sorts of other scenarios and truths. And that's what's happening with these disciples. And I want to draw your attention to four things about this storm. First, they wrongly conclude that both they and Jesus are perishing in this storm. Well, obviously, as we've seen, that's not going to happen, first thing. Secondly, they wrongly conclude that because Jesus is not doing something, and I think this is an important one, because Jesus is not doing something about the storm, then Jesus must not care about the storm, and more specifically, must not care about them. Notice again, verse 38, they wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, how could they say such a thing about to poor Jesus? How could they say such a thing to poor Jesus? Now, I ask you, who are you trying to fool? Because you probably said some similar things to poor Jesus as I have said 
to poor Jesus. I remember one time when I got the most angry at the Lord was over a lawnmower that wouldn't start. And I had a limited amount of time to cut my lawn and the lawnmower wouldn't start. And I remember thinking things like, Lord, you know I have limited time right now. Why won't you let my lawnmower start? Why won't you make my lawnmower start? And I'll tell you, and I don't normally throw around, I heard the voice of the Lord, but I essentially heard the voice of the Lord, or maybe my own reason spoke to my heart. I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you anything. I'm going to let that lawnmower sit there, not started. And you're going to have to deal with that. You know, I was like, sorry, please, you know, kind of thing, because I do have a limited time, uh, whatever. But I got real angry with the Lord because things weren't going my way or whatever. And storms, difficulties, challenges in life, it brings us to this place where we don't think rationally anymore. And so we begin to conclude that the God of heaven who took on flesh so that he could go to a cross and pay our penalty, that we uh, are the ones that owe, we begin to think, well, he doesn't care about me just because our lawnmower won't start or whatever it may be, whatever circumstance that we're facing here. And so we begin thinking things like, God, if you loved me. What's one of the key reasons many people give? Now, I'm not sure if this is the key reason many people believe, but it is at the very least the key reason many people give for not following Christ. And they'll say something like this. If there is a God that would allow, and you can fill in the blank, well, then that's not a God that I want to follow. As if, again, he owes them something. Storms challenge our faith. They challenge our ability to trust, and they challenge our concept of God's goodness. And again, it's so important for us to know that reality and counter it with proper thinking because you're either in a storm, you're heading into a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Life is about difficulties. It's the world in which we live. We live in a fallen world. And so we shouldn't be surprised when fallen things are happening in that world. And unfortunately, what we do is we reason, if God is sovereign and able to stop this storm, and yet he doesn't, well, then that must mean he's a mean and uncaring God. And we reason in our hour of need that he's abandoned us or he's powerless to help us. Now, of course, none of those ideas are true. And yet, what do they do? They find our way, their way into the forefront of our thinking when the wind and the waves of our storms begin to buffet us. And so we find ourselves tossed back and forth, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, oftentimes spiritually. And then like the frantic disciples, we cry out to Jesus and begin to accuse Jesus of not caring about us. Establish in your heart right now, he cares about you. He loves you. And so when it comes into your mind, he doesn't love me, doesn't care about me, you just tell yourself, well, I know that's not true. And so something else must be going on here right now. But establish in your heart, he loves me, he cares for me, he desires good things for me. And we assume that because Jesus hasn't stopped the storm or done something to help that he must not care, our passage shows us something very different. Jesus is going to say to them, look, the problem is not my lack of care. The problem is your lack of faith. He challenges them in this instance. Of course, Jesus cares. Everything that he has done to date and will go on to do will demonstrate that he cares. But because of their lack of faith, they're allowing the difficulties of their present circumstances to cause them to forget that truth. And remember, 
they're in this situation because Jesus commanded them to be in that boat. This isn't some terrible accident. This isn't some horrible thing that has occurred. Jesus said, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. All right, so they're in that boat because Jesus has commanded them to be there. Sometimes we encounter difficulties in our lives. We're calling them storms. Sometimes we encounter storms in our lives because of disobedience on our part. We bring these things on ourselves. You remember Jonah. God told him to go up to Nineveh, and Jonah went all the way over to Tarshish. And he found himself out in the ocean, uh, and he was in the midst of this terrible storm, and eventually thrown overboard into the waters uh, of that storm, the Mediterranean Sea there. He was in that difficulty because of his disobedience. Sometimes that's what happens. And we're in difficult circumstances because we brought them on ourselves. Sometimes, as I said a little earlier, we're in storms in our lives just because in this world you will have tribulation. John chapter 16, Jesus said it to his disciples. But take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. Sometimes life's difficulties is just because we live in a fallen world. And we just deal with it and we go through it. And then other times we find ourselves in storms because Jesus has instructed us to enter those circumstances. Amen? Do you feel that one with all your heart? Are you excited about that? Oh, that's great. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad I became a follower of Jesus. You mean he purposefully wants to put me in difficult circumstances? And I would suggest to you, yes. He purposefully chooses to put us into some difficult circumstances. This is one such occasion. These men are in this storm because of their obedience to the Lord, not because of disobedience. And so one of our takeaways is this. God allows storms in our lives as part of the discipleship process. God allows storms in our lives as part of the discipleship process. God's number one objective for each one of our lives is not our comfort. It's our, disciple, it's our growth process. He wants to grow us as disciples. His number one desire for our life is our growth process. He wants to grow us as disciples. Now notice what happens at the very end in verse 41. What do these men say? They say this. They say, who then is this? They had woke him up with the intention of he'd grab a bucket and help. He got up instead, spoke to the wind, spoke to the sea. Everything quieted down and they pulled back more fearful now than they were before. And they say, who then is this? And what does that tell us here? It tells us they learned something about the Lord from this experience that they had not known about the Lord prior to this experience. That's exactly what Jesus wants to do in every one of our lives. Sometimes the Lord will use challenges and difficulties to grow us to be more like his son. They say, who is this? They've seen him heal people. They've seen him deliver people from demons. They've seen him do all kinds of miracles, but they had never seen him stand up to the elements of this world, wind, waves, that kind of thing, speak to it, it listened to them and respond. And again, as I said, it caused great fear. Because of this storm, they learned something new about the Lord that they would have never learned had they not been in this storm. Imagine if Jesus pulled them aside and said, guys, today I want to teach you about my might and my power. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but if I wanted to, I could speak to the wind and the waves, and they would still. All right, that's it for today. Come back tomorrow. We're going to learn a new lesson. Do you think they would have grasped it? 
You think they would have walked away like, holy cow, this guy can do what? That's amazing. But let me tell you, they never forgot this experience. They never forgot the time that Jesus stood up, spoke to the wind and the waves. There are things you just can't learn in a classroom and in a book, but you can learn them in life. And Jesus here is teaching these men these wonderful truths about himself. He's demonstrating that he can speak to the wind and the waves. Now, let me give you an example from our lives. What does God's word tell us? God's word tells us this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. If you believe that is a true Bible verse, would you raise your hand? Yes, okay. We should all raise our hands. All right. Yeah. God says to every one of us that his peace will guard our hearts and mind in the midst of circumstances where it doesn't make any sense that we would have peace. And yet we as his children find, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know how I got through it. People observing, unbelievers observe it. Man, that was amazing that that had occurred in that way and how you responded to it. That's what God's word tells us. And so every one of us in here, hopefully if we're Bible believers, we say that's what God promises. That's God's truth. But how do you really prove out that verse, that you really believe it? It's when you find yourself in the most difficult of circumstances. And you find that someone you really care about is diagnosed with that particular disease or that particular sickness and the uncertainty that the doctors make you wait two weeks for or something it may be. And you're in the midst of that and yet you find, you know what? God is still with me. Yeah, I'm worried and I'm freaked out. I wish this wouldn't happen, but God is still here with me. And you begin to experience the peace of God that passes understanding so that the next time you're not in a storm and you can speak to somebody that is, you can speak with this confidence that I have learned that the peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you too, brother. Not because you read it, because you experienced it. You see what I'm saying, where I'm going with this? Well, that's what the disciples are learning. One of the first things they learn. God allows storms in our lives to teach us things. And so if I may suggest, and I do want to say it respectfully, because anytime a person is going through a storm, it's a storm. It's difficult. It's challenging. And so I, want to, I don't want to minimize life's difficulties. But the next time you find yourself in a storm, at some point during that time, pull yourself back and say, Lord, you know I would much rather not have this storm. But what is it you want to teach me in this storm? How do you want to grow me as a result of my being here? How about making the time worth it, right? If I'm going to be in this storm anyway, I want to get something out of this. I want to learn a lesson. I want it to be uh, fruitful. Let's go on. Uh, secondly, storms are an opportunity to observe the Lord's response to those difficulties. And so this whole world, the sea, the waves, everything, was crashing down upon these disciples. And how is Jesus responding to that? He's asleep. There's an opportunity to observe how the Lord is responding. Now, they were freaking out because they were perishing, but Jesus wasn't freaking out. Now, think about all the things. He was sleeping. Think about all the things that could have kept Jesus awake. Certainly the storm, the, the boat doing all of that thing. But pull that out of the equation for a second because he fell asleep, it seems, before the storm. Think of all the things that could have kept Jesus awake. The pressures of ministry, 
Do pressures in life sometimes keep you awake? Yeah. You sit there and you lay there and you think, oh my gosh, I got to do this, this, and this, and this, and how am I going to do that? And I have no ability to get that done, but that has to get done. Or you wake up early and you begin to think about all these things. And so for many of us, the pressures of life, you think about the pressures of ministry that were on Jesus, so much so at times he couldn't even eat. He couldn't go home and just sort of veg out and, sorry, we're closed or whatever. People would come. He'd be out on the streets, people pressing in on him. Finally, they'd say, you know what, get out in the middle of the boat so that people can't push in on you like this. That's pressure. And yet Jesus is at rest and he's peaceful. Jesus had a family that didn't recognize who he was or what he had come to do. The, the people he probably on this earth, I don't know how this works out, he's God, but the people on this earth who he loved maybe more than anyone, his family, didn't recognize who he was, thought he was crazy, wanted to take him away and lock him away somewhere to protect him uh, for his own good. And the stress of knowing that his own family thinks he has gone crazy could have kept him awake at night. It didn't. The difficulty of becoming public enemy number one. Every post office Jesus went into, there was his photo, right there. Every milk carton he grabbed, there was his photo. They were looking for him. He was public enemy number one. The religious leaders wanted to kill him or destroy him, uh, they say in colorful words in Mark chapter 3. That could have kept him up. But none of these things kept him up. Despite all of those things that could have troubled him, the Lord was at peace and he was able to rest. In the English Standard Version of uh, verse 38, the disciples, they wake him up. They say, teacher, do you not care? One of the older versions, it says, teacher, have you no concern? And Jesus probably said, no, no, I don't. You know what I mean? That was the secret to his rest, that despite all of those things, he could put them aside and he could rest. Psalm 127 says this, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's a gift from God to be able to deposit it all at the throne and say, I'll check back in tomorrow, Lord, with you on these things. Sleep is a gift from the Lord. And Jesus did not have this concern. He was at peace, peace and thus he could rest. And in the midst of a multitude of difficulties, including this storm, which potentially came from the pit of hell, Jesus has peace and he is there a model for the rest of his disciples that they too could have peace your storm may be a period of intense sorrow and I know some of us we have some loved ones that have passed away and we're still having difficulty getting past that or getting through that is perhaps a better term some of us are dreams you know this is what I was going to do with my life and now we're hitting certain ages and we're like yeah that ain't happening and we're grieving over that. Some of us, our storm is a period of intense sorrow. For some of us, it's a period of difficulty. Many of us here are having relational difficulties with people. And we've tried to work on it, and we're following the example of Scripture. We're forgiving, and we're confronting in love, and we're doing all these things. And there seems to be no uh, solution to the difficulties that we're having. Some of us, it's a situation with work. Some of us, it's finances. And we're just drowning, it seems, financially. Some of us, it's as parents and the difficulties we're having with our children. We're, we have these difficulties. And our storm, your storm today, might be a period of intense difficulty. Jesus models for us here that we can have peace even when life's problems seem as if they're going to overwhelm us. 
And some of us, we may be dealing with, and I've heard this of late, with a period of remorse and regret. We've made some decisions in our past, and now we're paying the consequences of those decisions. We grieve and we have remorse and regret over those past actions or maybe lack of action, something we should have done that we didn't do, and now we're ashamed. can't believe I did those things. People told me I shouldn't have, and so on and so forth. And Jesus provides us the peace of his cleansing. We can have peace as we cast every one of our cares upon the Lord. Our second lesson here, Jesus is our model. Our third lesson is this. Despite the heavy buffeting of this storm, the storm doesn't wake Jesus. Things are shaking, five-foot waves. It's crazy, no doubt out there. Water pelting down on them, rain pelting down on them. And I imagine the, ro- the, the boat is rocking pretty good. The stinging of the rain is coming down on them. I'm sure there's a lot of yelling. And you're not bailing water fast enough or properly, and you're supposed to do it this way. I imagine some of these disciples may be even using colorful language here. It is just a, it's a zoo. There's mayhem here, and there's Jesus sleeping. But notice this. None of those things awaken the Lord until his disciples come to him, and they shake him. And they say, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. And when his disciples cry out to him, that's when he awakes. Too often we think that we forget, I should say, that Jesus is there in the storm with us. And we run around frantically trying to handle it all all on our own, doing everything that we possibly can in our own strength. And we finally come to this realization to call out to the Lord. And notice the Lord, he hears them. He welcomes their cry and he responds to their need. Go to the Lord in the midst of your difficulties. Don't do everything else first and then realize, you know what, I should have gone to the Lord. Go to the Lord first. And finally, I pointed out to you that Mark is the only one who says that there were other boats with him. Jesus' wasn't the only boat that was out there, but again, it says other boats were with him out there on the sea. And if they were with him on the sea, that means those other boats uh, went through the terrifying storm that Jesus' boat went through, right? Everybody agrees with that? It's not just happening in this little bubble here. The entire sea has been stirred up here. Now, what those others in the other boats did not have was proximity to the Lord. And so they probably didn't know that the Lord was sleeping on that back cushion. They don't know exactly what's going on in that boat. They don't know that the Lord stood up and said, peace be still. They got their own problems in their own boats, and all of a sudden the storm is done. And they're thinking, wow, that was something, huh? I never had a storm like that. But they don't know that Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still. This lesson was immediately for, it had immediate implications for Jesus' closest disciples, those that were in this boat with them. But it impacted other people as well. And that's my fourth and final point. God's work in the lives of his children impacts the lives of others around his children, even if they have no idea that that is happening. And so the lessons that God is teaching you in your difficulties, it may indeed be serving the purpose of bringing benefit to other people. The lessons that God is teaching you in your difficulties may indeed be benefiting other people. My word of exhortation is embrace that and allow the Lord to use you as a channel of his mercy. In the span of a few moments, the disciples got to see the complete humanity of Jesus. Did you catch that? 
God in the flesh needed a nap, needed to take a breather and a break and to rest and to sleep. The, humanity, the complete humanity of Christ. But they also got to see the fullness of Jesus' deity. They saw Jesus for who he is, a man who got tired and needed rest, and God who could speak to the elements and control them in this world as well. And they conclude their time, they say this, who then is this? The secret to rest (coughs) in any difficulty and the difficulties that we go through is in that question. Who then is this? And the greater we have come to know the Lord, the greater the rest and the peace that we will experience even in the storms of life. Would you agree with that? All right, amen. Let's finish there. Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, this lesson. Lord, I'll be honest, I'm glad I didn't have to be out there in the middle of the ocean there, the sea being tossed to and fro thinking I was going to die. And so, Lord, I'd prefer to learn a lesson uh, from afar by observing these guys and learning uh, the lesson from them. And so, Lord, we do want to be a people. We know that in this world we will have trials. And so we want to be a people, Lord, that think rightly in the midst of those trials. And, Lord, even as those difficulties are tearing at our hearts, really kind of pulling us away from you, we want to be people that are drawn closer to you. And so help us to think rightly. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning. If there are some uh, changes in the way we think and respond, Lord, that you would do that changing work within us. You would use today's word to be planted down into our hearts, Lord, that we might be transformed more into the image of your Son, both in our actions and our responses, but also in our thoughts. And so bless your word as it goes forth this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use these words this morning to bring comfort to anyone in here this morning that really feels like they're going through something and they're not sure if they can handle it any longer. Lord, bring them comfort and encouragement, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the church, please visit ccmercer.com or come worship with us in Ewing, New Jersey on Sundays at 10 a.m.